We are uh, still in our commit series. We're going to be in here for uh, this series for a few more weeks uh, into the month of March, actually. And uh, as we've been going through this series, we've really been focusing a lot on independent commitments uh, about reading and studying the Bible, giving, praying, fasting. Um, These commitments, those independents, do have a corporate uh, impact. And tonight, or this morning, we're really going to be focusing on uh, a corporate commitment to make, and uh, it is the commit to church, as you can see behind me. Uh, these are going to be our passages we'll be in. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 16, and then we'll slowly ease into Acts chapter 2. If you want to find your place in your scriptures or your tablet, your phone, whatever you're going to be using to look at God's Word. Imagine if I asked the question, what is church, or how would you define a church? And we just kind of let that be an open field where we could answer it, we would get a, a slew of different answers. And there's, the reason for that is because there's a lot of people here who come from different backgrounds, different church backgrounds, different traditions and denominations. And there's a lot of people who have different experiences with church. Uh, you, you have experienced different things and seen different things, good and bad. And there's a danger when we begin asking what is church or we begin defining even our Christianity by what church we go to because that is not biblical at all. And I, don't, I haven't encountered that so much in the last couple of years, but I remember when you would ask somebody, so are you a believer? They would respond, well, I go to such and such church. Um, that's not how the Bible defines Christianity at all. You can be a member at a church and you could still end up in hell. I mean, it's just a sad reality. But we need to know what is church because we are called to be committed to the church. Wes Roberts and Glenn Marshall point out that the church began as a movement but ended up as an institution. And for this reason, a lot of people outside the church, and maybe even some here this morning inside the church, kind of look at church as optional and sometimes even irrelevant. And so let's see how the Scripture defines church. We're going to be in Matthew 16 to begin. The word church is only used 23 times in the entire Bible, and all in the New Testament. The very first time it is mentioned is in Matthew chapter 16 concerning the confession of Peter. And so let's read that beginning in verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And what a great question just to sit on for a week and say, who do I say that Jesus is? Well, Peter, we got to love Peter. He loves to to pipe up every now and then. In verse 16, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. In verse 18, when Jesus says, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, let's deal with the word church, because this is the first time it's mentioned in Scripture. The word church can be read as an assembly, a gathering, or a congregation. It literally means a gathering of individuals to which Jesus says will be on this rock. The word rock refers to a bedrock or foundation. And using that word, we find it earlier in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 7. When Jesus says, everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It's a play on words with the word rock and Peter in this moment. 
The Greek word for Peter is Petros. The Greek word for rock is Petra. There's a different gender specification concerning Peter and the rock. Peter is in the masculine, while rock is in the feminine. Though the passage is used in some traditions to say this is when Jesus Christ commissioned Peter to be the very first pope, that is not an accurate translation. If Jesus were speaking of Peter being the rock, then the Greek word would, would be petro, not petra. So whatever this rock is that Jesus says, I will build my church upon, we need to understand. Well, Matthew chapter 7, the rock refers to the words of Christ, those who hear my words and, do, and does them or applies them. In chapter 16, the word rock refers to the identity of Christ. So the rock to which Jesus is pointing to is not Peter, but rather Peter's confession, which was revealed to him by God when Peter said in verse 16, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The word Christ means Messiah or anointed one. Peter is saying Jesus is the one that the Old Testament prophecies and laws have been pointing to. He is the fulfillment of all that God had been setting up. To say He is the Son of God is saying that He is of equal nature with God. To say He is of the living God is the point that Jesus is divine authority and He's different from all the other gods in the world. So when Jesus commends Peter for this confession, He is saying that He is going to build His church upon this truth. Jesus is telling our commitment to church is a commitment to the Christ, the Son, and the living God. So when we commit to church, whether it's attending or saying, this is where I'm going to be a member of, this is where God wants me to be, I'm committing to who Jesus is and who God is. I'm not coming to a church to commit to a pastor. I'm not coming to a church to commit to activities or ministries going on or a worship team or things that I like. I'm going to church not for what church can do for me, but I'm going to church to announce my commitment is to Christ and to God. And I know people are drawn to churches for these sort of things. I know sometimes we go to churches because what's going on there or, or who's speaking or preaching. I'll admit, I'll go to conferences based upon who's going to be there at times. Because I, I respect them. I know they're men of God. I, I know what I can expect to hear from them. I've never had to experience searching for a church growing up. I was a pastor's kid because wherever my dad was pastoring, that's where I ended up going. So it wasn't like, well, I'm going for that particular reason. But I do know people, matter of fact, my, my wife and her family at one point in time switched churches because of a youth ministry at a certain church. They, want, they were in that period of time in their life. And these aren't bad reasons for you to join a church or be a part of a church, but they can be. I've seen huge youth ministries or student ministries, massive attendance, but no depth. I've seen incredible worship teams, but no spirit. And so we might be attracted to church initially by the pastor or the activities or the ministries going on, but our commitment isn't what the church can provide. Our commitment is what will the church allow me to know Christ and the living God more. That's where I, where I go to church. So I can know Christ and God more. And if a church is not doing that, it doesn't matter what activities they have, what ministries they have going on, how awesome their worship team or how incredible their pastor is. If you're not knowing Christ and God more, then you're not going to church. In Acts chapter 2, we see this, if you want to make your way there. In Acts chapter 2, we have the development of the first church after the coming of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 42, we read this statement, And they 
devoted themselves. That they are the believers who now have the Holy Spirit. The word devoted means that they were consistent and continually acting on the things that happened in verse 42. They were committed to certain things as a church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And they devoted themselves to the prayer. So let's begin with apostles' teaching. At this point in time in the New Testament, in this history, the New Testament has not been written. The first book that we have in the New Testament was not written until 25 to 30 years after the Holy Spirit came. So they're not looking into the Gospels. They're not looking into Paul's letters. Paul had yet to be converted at this moment in time. So the apostles' teaching, we need to know what are they devoting themselves? What are they committing to as a church? Well, in the beginning of Acts chapter 2, we find Peter's very first message after the Spirit comes. And then if you turn to Acts chapter 7, we find Stephen also delivering a message. And if you read through both messages, what you see each men doing in their devotion to the apostles' teaching is that they taught, focused on the Old Testament with the genealogy and the story of Israel and then pointing to the prophetic messages concerning Jesus Christ. They would be teaching how Jesus fulfilled every aspect of every prophecy in the Old Testament, which made him the Messiah or the Christ. They were teaching and growing and understanding of Jesus being the Christ, the Son of the living God. They were teaching and growing and understanding the eternal work of Jesus Christ to which God had set in place. This is our commitment when we commit to church. We're committing to be in a place where we can be discipled to know Christ and God more and the Holy Spirit. To be in a place where we are diving into God's Word so we can understand it and therefore apply it to our life. It's huge because if I'm committing to anything else at church that is not diving into God and understanding Him and Jesus Christ more, then I've come for the wrong reasons and I'm committing to the wrong thing. And again, I know ministries and activities and people draw us to church, but the end should be a desire to know God and Christ more. With Peter's confession, he says that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was stating there is a union between Christ and God, to which the church is to be a union between the church and Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23 through 24, Paul uses the marriage analogy and the representation of Christ and the church, that the church is the bride of Christ, meaning it belongs to Christ and submits to Christ. But the only way the church can do that is if the people who gather together to form the church are doing that. So when we gather, we form the body, the bride of Christ, and we are to be in submission and under the control of Christ. We belong to Him. Going back to Acts, they were not only devoted to the apostles' teaching, but they were devoted to the fellowship. So to commit to church is to commit to community. Now, I grew up Southern Baptist. Do we have any good Southern Baptists here? So when I hear the word fellowship, there's one thing that comes to mind. Food and fried chicken, right? We're going to have a fellowship. That ought to we were going to eat, and as a kid growing up, I'm going to get more time to play with my kids at church, or my friends at church. Not my kids at church. Ooh, that was weird. Um, but I automatically went to food, but that's not fellowship here in verse 42 and that's not how the bible defines fellowship the word fellowship in the bible means a close association that involves mutual interest and the sharing of lives meaning when i say i'm going to fellowship i'm going to share my life with someone else and i'm going to allow someone else to be deeply invested in me that's fellowship we're invested in one another in brotherly love 
When I say I am in a fellowship and I'm committing to church, I'm committing to be an equal partner with others who form the church. I'm going to live out Jesus' command to love one another. When he says, by this, all people, and that all people isn't referring to people in the church, but rather people outside the church looking on, so all people will know that you are my disciples. In other words, you belong to me, you're a believer, you're a Christian, if you have love for one another. So how do we build biblical fellowship? It's not by having more meals. But Hebrews 10.25 says that we are not to neglect to meet together. The opposite of neglect means to be firmly established. So when I commit to church and community, I'm committing to being with another person, another individual, because I know that this isn't wearing me down, but rather being with God's people at church lifts me up. I get reminded that I'm not alone in this pursuit of God. I get reminded that I'm not alone in my struggling with sin. I get reminded that I'm not alone to do what God has called me to do because God has placed me in the church. And so we're all working together for the same cause. It says that they were also devoted, in verse 42, to the breaking of bread. That phrase carries two meanings, but the most important is of the Lord's Supper. So the first church was committed themselves to remembering the work of Christ through His death and resurrection. They weren't remembering the good old days. They weren't remembering how things used to be, though at church sometimes we can do that. We didn't always do it that way. That's not what they were doing. They were remembering who Jesus was and they were focused on, G on Jesus. So to be in church is to commit to commemorate and to celebrate. Now who here did not watch the Super Bowl last Sunday? Not watch it? All right. There's like two of you. All right. We, we got together with our small group last Sunday to watch the Super Bowl together. And I, I just started laughing in my head. And I don't know if this happened at your own gatherings, um, whether you were at home. I know we had some people that did not go with other social groups because they were afraid of what they would do in those social atmospheres. But as we're watching the game, it became humorous in my mind. This is the way my mind works that when something good would happen for the Chiefs, because that's who most of us were rooting for, not all, but most, um, when something good would happen for the Chiefs, our group would erupt in applause and yelling. Did, did you all do that? Like they'd, they'd catch a pass, yeah, woo! And w which makes no sense when I think about it, because we are yelling at a TV and applauding players who can't hear us at all. On top of that, our small group was like, 10 minutes behind the actual game. So what was actually occurring didn't, wasn't actually occurring at that time. We didn't know what was going on later in the game, but we were yelling and applauding. And I looked at Jamie and I said, why don't we applaud for the kicker? And so Jamie and I won field goal. We're like, yeah! We were alone in that. We, uh, we love to celebrate. We love to remember things. You know, next season, they're going to do it all again, and they're going to try to go after the big game again, and they'll start the season in Kansas City saying, you know, you're Super Bowl winners, Kansas City Chiefs, and they're going to remember it, and people are going to celebrate. You can go out to almost any store and buy Chiefs gear right now saying that I'm going to remember it. So there you go. I'm going to celebrate what they've done. You want to know why we do this, whether you're a Chiefs fan or not? It's because that's the way God made you. God made you to remember things and to celebrate. If you read through the entire Bible, you'll see God telling His people over and over again to remember things by setting up memorials or, or doing worship service, to have a remembrance and to celebrate what God has done. 
And so it is in us to want to celebrate things in life. And the first church, and when I commit to church, that's what I'm committing to. I'm committing that I'm going to celebrate what God has done, and I'm going to remember it so I can continue to move forward. This is what happens when we come to the Lord's table. In Luke chapter 22 and 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the instructions are, when we go to the Lord's Supper, we are to do this in remembrance of me. So when we gather as a church, we gather to remember what Christ has done for us in living a perfect life, that He died on the cross for our sins, that He rose again that we could be forgiven, and when we place our faith in Him, He's coming back for us. That's a cause of celebration. It's a reminder that I'm not home and this is not where I belong. No matter how good things get here, it's not even going to compare to what Christ is preparing for me. And so I remember that and I celebrate. This is why church is a time of celebration. It's why we sing songs. It's not so we can have a worship team up here doing things because that's what all churches do. We are called to celebrate Christ. That's church. It's to celebrate and remember. This is the message the world needs to see in the church. It's not people going to a funeral, but it's people who have been born again and are alive. But I've been in churches where it seems like worship services. Are we excited for who God is and what Christ has done and who we are? And when we come to church, is that seen? If unbelievers came just to watch us, would they say we're excited about who Christ is and who God is and what they have done for us? Would they see the life? Would they say that we remember that? That we as a people are worshiping God with one heart and one mind? And we're more excited about who He is and what the chiefs did? That's church. But a lot of times in church, we can go through the motions. It's just something we do. And it seems strange to point this out, but sometimes in church we can get so distracted and make things that aren't meant to be the focus. I've been in churches where, you know, we call them family meetings here, but other churches call them business meetings, where there's been a very volatile argument over carpet. A very volatile argument over what color should go on the wall, about where the children or student ministry should or shouldn't meet. I understand we should be good stewards of what God has given us. And we should take care of what God has given us. But it's not about those things. And we shouldn't allow those things to control our conversation. It's about Him and what He has done and what He promises to do. And so we celebrate Him. That's church. And if you have a problem with celebrating at church, man, you've got to check your heart. I don't care if you raise your hands. I don't care if you clap off beat. I mean, we all know Southern, but if you're not a Southern Baptist background, then you, know, you don't know that Southern Baptists cannot sing and clap on beat at the same time. So you may come from another background, and you, you can teach us that. Okay? But when you... When you're worshiping, when you're singing songs, if you feel led to raise your hands, raise your hands. If you feel led at that moment, even though there's not been an altar call or an invitation, but you feel led to come and kneel down and pray, then kneel down and pray. If you don't feel led to stand in that moment, then sit. 
If you don't know the words and you don't know what you're singing, then just look at it. Don't worry about what other people may think or do because you clapped or raised your hand or you said hallelujah or you said amen. I mean, the only thing we'll get a little uncomfortable with if you start flailing around on the floor, but we can talk about that. It's about him and celebrating who he is. It says they were also devoted to the prayers in verse 42. So when I commit to church, I'm committing to communion with God and with believers. And we talked about committing to prayer a couple weeks ago, so you can check it out on the website or the podcast. But it amazes me, and it still, it still does, that when we say we're going to have a prayer meeting, you know what happens to attendance? It just drops out. Matter of fact, if I said next week, well, probably not now because I'm... I, but, if we were to practice say, you know, this Sunday we're just going to have a time of prayer. We're not going to have any singing. We'll maybe read some scripture. We're just going to gather together and we're going to pray together and just be together. I'm guessing a lot of people would opt out. Something about prayer meetings doesn't attract believers the way it should. But when I look in the first church, the first church understood, the believers understood the power of the church rested in their devotion to prayer and their communion with the Father. It's not about them, it's about Him and remaining connected to Him. So in verse 43, and all came upon every soul. The reason all was on every soul is because when they went to church, when they went to that gathering, it was spirit-filled. Stick with my letter C's if you notice behind me. Verse 44, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. So when I commit to church, I commit to consensus. I'm committing to unity. It says, All who believe had all things in common. So when I speak of church, when I think of church, the first thing that should come to my head is unity. Harmony of God's people together. And I know that there are people here who have not experienced that in church. I, I'm with you. I've, I've been there too. And it's heartbreaking. It's frustrating. It's aggravating when people who call themselves the children of God do not act like God's children at all. But when people see the church, when they think of Harvest Hill or any other place that calls themselves a church, they should see God's people in harmony with one another because they are in harmony with God. The word the Bible uses is reconciliation. It means to be at harmony with God. We've been reconciled and redeemed. And now that we've been reconciled to God, we are now ministers of reconciliation with the message of reconciliation. And God knows this isn't easy because there are people in here that have problems getting along with other people. The same thing happens in Scripture. Matter of fact, if you read through the majority of the New Testament after the book of Acts, you will find the majority of Paul's letters are written to churches who are having issues. They're having divisions. They're arguing with one another. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul deals with the division in the church, and he says this concerning divisions. When there are divisions in the church, what it reveals are those who belong to God and those who don't. Because those who belong to God are seeking reconciliation and harmony and unity. And those who don't just want to keep stirring the pot. And so 
divisions happen. And there will be divisions at Harvest Hill at times. And so what do we do? We go to the Word of God, we seek unity through God's Word, and we allow God's Word to guide us to a place of reconciliation so we can appear as the bride of Christ. So when the church and the world sees the church, they see the physical representation of who God is and who Christ is because we're the body. To say they had all things in common is an interesting phrase in the Greek. It means that the believers who made up the church They didn't look out or value worldly things over people. They valued one another over anything they acquired or anything they were attempted to give value to. The church was committed to using all that God had provided them, whether it was money or resources or homes, in order to advance and promote the kingdom of God. That was their goal for having stuff. And so our commitment to unity is to commit to look out for one another. Is to make sure that we're taking care of one another. That if someone's in need, we step up and we fill that need. And sometimes it makes us uncomfortable. Sometimes it makes us have to sacrifice something. Students at school have each other's back as believers. If you see someone picking on another person that you know is a believer, maybe you can go to church with them. Stand up for them. Willing to be persecuted with them if you have to. Adults. Stand up for other adults that you work for, that you know are are Christians, are believers, and they're living by biblical truth. When they become persecuted, when they feel ashamed to do something for Christ, stand up for them. It may mean persecution. It may mean sacrifice for you. But the church is to be unified. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And what is the result of such a unity in the church? Verse 47, The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Why? Because the church is different. It's meant to be different than the world. It's a gathering of people who have their eternal salvation locked. And so we live differently. We act differently. We talk about different things. We respond differently to circumstances. But when God added to the number and we are committed to these things at our church, what we see when it comes to church is we commit to Christ's work. We're going to dive deeper in this in the next couple of weeks about being committed to being involved and being committed to sharing our faith. But when I say I'm going to go to church, or I'm a part of a church, or I belong to a church, however you word it, what I'm saying is not that I'm going to a physical place, or that I belong to a certain denomination or tradition. When I say I belong to a church, I'm saying that I am committed to Christ's work to tell the world about Christ. Because the church is the body of Christ. It is the physical representation of Christ for the world to see. And so we as a church gather, that's what has to be proclaimed. Not our own initiatives, not our own ideas, not our own wants and desires, but the work of Christ. We are His arms, His legs, His feet, His heart, His words, His actions. We're going to look at that more next week. The Bible says we are to have the mind of Christ. We are all about the will of God in 1 Timothy 2.4 who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And the church is the medium to which God uses to accomplish this will. So when I commit to church, I'm I'm committing 
to being a part of what God wants to do in this world. Not committing to a local body or an address or a Sunday morning or a seat that I typically sit in. When I say I'm going to church, I'm saying I'm committing to go, going and making disciples of all nations. That's a biblical member. That's what it means to be belong to church, that I am a part of spreading good news. And so that's the question for us this morning. How are we allowing God to use us to advance the kingdom of God as a church and as individuals? What part are you playing here at Harvest Hill Baptist Church to advance the kingdom of God and spread the gospel? We're committing to our individual sanctification, being set apart in holiness, but we're also committing to our corporate sanctification and holiness because that's the cause of Christ and our commitment to church. You may be here and think, why in the world would I want to make such commitments? That sounds like a lot just about church. We make such a commitment because God made even a bigger commitment for us. We talk about remembering and celebrating who Jesus Christ is. You may be here this morning and you can't commit to church because you have yet to commit to God. You've yet to begin a relationship with Him. The Bible says that all of us are sinners. All of us fall short of God's glory. All of us do things that we know we shouldn't do and we wrestle with things almost habitually that we shouldn't do. That's sin in our life. And for some of us who are believers, we have the Spirit that reminds us of that. But you may be here and you just know you do bad things, but... You may class it, well, they're not that bad. I didn't kill anybody. I, you know, I, I didn't cheat on my taxes yet. Um, don't cheat on your taxes. But I didn't do anything really bad. The Bible says you can be a, a great person, a good person, and you can still end up in hell. Because the only way I can be secure in my salvation is if my faith is in Jesus Christ alone. And so when I understand that I'm a sinner and I fall short and I do bad things, even if I'm still a good person, the Bible says I have to place my faith in what Jesus Christ and God did for me. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for your and my sins. They placed Him in the tomb. He rose three days later so that I could be forgiven when I placed my faith in Him alone and the work He did. And so you may be here this morning and that's the commitment you need to make before you can commit to the church is that to confess Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. I'm going to invite you to come down as the worship team comes and leads us and just say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. I, I, want, I want Jesus in my life. Maybe you're here and just looking at the commitments that we're called when we commit to church, you realize that you have not been doing your part. And that needs to change. And that's kind of scary at times. Maybe you just need to come and kneel before the Father and pray. Maybe you just need to pray where you are. Maybe you feel this is where God wants me to be, and I just want to let that be known. And you just come on down and say, Pastor Mike, I, I feel that this is where God wants me to be, and I want to become a member, a part of this body. I'm committing to the church. However God has spoken to you and laid upon your heart, this is going to be a time of invitation. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and we're going to stand up and we're going to sing. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us and taking care of us. Thank you for bringing us into this incredible body. We're not alone. We're promised that we're in your presence. And Lord, thank you for giving us this incredible task, which we don't have to do alone. Lord, thank you that you empower us through your spirit and you empower us through our believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ and this incredible family we have. 
And I pray for those here this morning who do not know you as their Lord and Savior, that they know it, their heart feels it, their mind senses it, your spirit's working on them. Father, you would just give them the courage to walk down and let it, and let it be known that they want to be saved, they want to be forgiven. For those here this morning who call this place their church family, but they haven't made it a public commitment, that this is where they attend, but they haven't said, this is where I'm going to, to state my claim that this is my family. Father, give them the courage to walk down and just let it be known that they want to join. But Father, let us be a church that mirrors the Scriptures and the Word and not what we think it should be, but what you've already made it to be. Above all else, Lord, I ask that you alone be glorified in this moment. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your Word. And praise on the name of Jesus. Amen.